Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hey there, welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm your host, John Steele. If this is your first time joining, wow, I am super glad you made it today. Welcome to the show. Let's jump right in. Today's guest is going to help us answer one of those questions that everyone is asking and really has been asking since basically the beginning, and that's, how do I live my life well? And what does it mean to have a fulfilling life? Well, today we're joined by Dr. Louis Tay, a professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences at Purdue University. He's an expert in the area of well-being, or optimal functioning. And this area of study seeks to answer those questions related to living well and finding fulfillment. And Dr. Tay is joining us for this episode to help us better understand and cultivate well-being in our own lives. And the ideas he's going to share with us have the potential to greatly benefit your day-to-day life and your relationship with Jesus and others if implemented consistently. So let's dive right in. Here's Dr. Tay, and this one's for you, alumni. Hello, Dr. Tay. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, I I wonder, for the sake of our conversation, may I call you Lewis? Yes, of course. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lewis, I have to know, how's Indiana? It's great. I'm from Indiana originally. And so it's always, yes, yes, I'm from Warsaw, not too far from where you are. And uh, it's always nice to get to connect with someone on the podcast who's from the area. It almost feels like a vicarious visit home in some way. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Lewis, I'm really glad that you're here today. Before we jump into our conversation around well-being, would you just give us a really quick introduction? Yeah, sure. Um, So I grew up in Singapore, uh, pursued a uh, a PhD in organizational psychology, ended up uh, working a lot on the topic of well-being and somehow ended up here in uh, the middle of Indiana amidst the cornfields. Yes. God works in mysterious ways. So I've been a professor here at Purdue uh, for 10 years now. Um, I love my job. I get to teach about well-being uh, and also research uh, well-being too. So cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to, to dig into this wealth of knowledge, this many years of your own education and your own research and, and teaching others around the idea of well-being. So, Lewis, I think when we hear the term well-being, it feels like something that you think you know, or at least that I think I know what that is, but then I, mm-hmm. I ha- might have trouble actually putting it into words. And I do remember from my days of, of psych research that it is always crucial to have an operational definition when you're trying to <laughs> when you're trying to measure or explain something. So for all of our sakes, can you just help us continue to develop a working definition of what well-being is? Uh, What do you mean when you talk about well-being? Yeah, I think a lot of people think of well-being colloquially as, you know, feeling good. Okay, Uh, that's certainly a a very important component. But I think that's also perhaps a very narrow uh, version of it. Um, One broader way of thinking about well-being is really optimal functioning. Okay. 
So think about it as two aspects, you know, one in a classical Aristotelian sense of virtue or excellence. Uh, so doing good, if I were to kind of rephrase that. Uh, not only doing good, but also feeling good as well. In our day and age where we are more focused on emotions, you know, yes. uh, and, and rightly so, <laughs> the sense of feeling good. So I think it may still be a little bit abstract, but, you know, one way of anchoring it is to kind of think about the different life domains like health, uh, relationships, family, finances. Are you able to flourish in terms of doing good and feeling good? about each of these life domains. And of course, as a Christian too, I think uh, there's a deeper and more profound sense of what well-being is. I personally believe that it's really about loving God and having godly loves. Hmm. We know the great commandment, loving God and loving others. Yes. And so God often has, amazingly how humble our Lord is, has others on his mind. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that is the posture that we would have to be thinking about others and not merely ourselves. Um, But at the same time, be able to also take care of ourselves. It's not at the expense of ourselves or the neglect of ourselves because we need to love others as we love ourselves. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so I think, I think there is a self-care involved, but I think there is going to be a predominant focus on others and how you can love others well and uh, how you can love the Lord well through through that. Hmm. I mean, it is a perennial question for human beings. Anybody who has lived for any amount of time asks the question, how do I live my life well? And what does it mean to have a fulfilling life, right? So that's one of the core questions that we have. And of course, as Christians, you know, uh, the Bible answers it in a specific way. But many people are pursuing many different ways of Mm. uh, achieving that, whether they acknowledge it explicitly or it's just implicit in, in what they do. That's a really helpful kind of starting place for us as we then move into what I'm hoping will be even more practical tools and understanding for our alumni listeners. And so for the rest of our time, I'd really like to start digging into well-being from a few different perspectives. But I'm wondering, based on the research that you're familiar with and that you're doing yourself, what are some of the biggest factors that you're seeing at play that today are actually hindering people's well-being? So I think that uh, just from a prevalence standpoint, And also kind of what I see observe in the Christian church, I think one of the issues from the negative side is really kind of dealing with issues of perhaps addictions. Hmm. Uh, Sometimes we think, oh, addictions, it's, you know, pornography, alcohol and gambling. But it can even be more subtle, like social media. Yes. Even more positive, like work. (laughs) You Hmm. know, I think they promise quick happiness. But the funny thing is that they rob us of ultimate satisfaction. Um, because you spend so much of your energies, efforts, and time to, quote unquote, get the dopamine fix. Uh, But then that quickly fades. And so you kind of get back on a treadmill and you keep doing the same thing, but you're in the same place. So I think that's uh, perhaps one of the things that I personally have observed. And and I think from the uh, research standpoint, there's been a lot of work uh, looking at developing deep and meaningful relationships. Okay. I think one of the challenges now in society is that we often coast uh, superficial relationships. 
uh, and we're not able to actually build and maintain mm. these deeper relationships. In fact, it's been said that loneliness is now one of the big biggest epidemics. Wow. And in the UK, they actually have a minister for loneliness to address this issue. Really? Yes. Wow. And a lot of that is occurring in young uh, individuals. And so perhaps many of your listeners will relate to that. And so I think that's another challenging area, because even if you think about, you know, psychological needs, relationships is really core. But I think one of the challenges that we have is that we're living in a culture that values convenience and values the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And relationships often hinder that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. If right. you have a good friend, you guys are deciding, you know, hey, what do we want to do? It's not always your way. No. You kind of need to figure <laughs> out how do we kind of get along in order to do something that we both enjoy. Uh, and sometimes that might not actually happen. And so then you have to kind of give in or give way. I think that that is fascinating. You talk about that even relationship can be a quote unquote hindrance to our quick fix culture that we live in. I experienced this just the other day. For the last few months, my five-year-old has wanted to go grocery shopping with me every Saturday. Every <laughs> Saturday, it. she wants to come with me. And we have a, a whole mix of experiences when we do this together. It takes a lot longer. Uh -huh. You are pausing to look and touch and investigate and explain all these different things and quiet down conversations that are wanting to be started <laughs> about the people around you. All of these different things that make for a very different experience. Well, this, this Saturday, she wanted to stay home when I went grocery shopping. And so I had this mix of emotions of like, this is going to be so simple, but who's going to help me scan my food items? And so I had this really interesting juxtaposition of recent experiences of I was able to go fast and be more mm -hmm. efficient in my grocery shopping, but it was far less entertaining far less interpersonal. But just as you're talking about these things, I'm like, I have had a very recent experience with that. And I can identify some of the tension that you experience in both of those, those uh, opportunities. God just loves throwing in additional degrees of freedom in your life. Uh, you have to give up <laughs> comfort, convenience and control when you are in these types of relationships. Because again, it's not about you. It's about building those relationships it's about growing together yes and it is challenging at the same time it is so fulfilling and so deeply nourishing we are made for uh these types of relationships and, and research shows that it only takes a few close deep meaningful relationships hmm. to fulfill that you don't need thousands of followers it takes a prolonged period of time to get to know somebody well and I think one practical question to ask ourselves is, if I were to be in an accident, are there two people you can call who you know will drop everything and be with you? Do you have that support? And are you willing to do that for somebody else as well? So I think that's that's a, a question for, for us. Yes. Are there places of overlap that you can see of like, wow, this is the stuff that well-being research says is good for us. And this mm -hmm. is actually confirmed and has been longstanding in ancient faith practices, in spiritual disciplines. Yeah. You know, carrying along the line of uh, relationships, um, there has been over the last five, ten years, a lot of more work on pro-social giving. 
Hmm. Um, this idea of spending money on yourselves, uh, on ourselves versus spending it on others. Um, and this ties into kind of, you know, uh, traditions of being generous, uh, tithing and all of that, right? Yes. And the research shows that when you spend money on others, you're actually happier <laughs> than if you were to spend it on yourself. Wow. And uh, researchers are kind of digging into kind of why that's the case. I think one is, you know, uh, when you spend on others, often you are, for instance, buying coffee for somebody, you are able to build and deepen a connection. And um, I think at at base as well, you are perhaps um, using that as a forcing function to not only think about yourself and your needs, but kind of go beyond yourself. And I think mm. in some ways that allows us to free ourselves from the tyranny of our own fears and uh, <laughs> our own desires to think about others. And, you know, we talked about loving God and loving others, right? So, so I think that there's something about that that frees us. And so um, it's it's amazing to see kind of um, that overlap there. So I think that's, that's one. I think the other area of interest is uh, in mindfulness meditation. Uh, okay. It's really this idea of, you know, non- judgmental attention uh, to the present moment. Uh, often the practice of it is, you know, focus on breath and bodily sensations to, to really center oneself to be in a moment. I actually think that, you know, uh, in the hustle and bustle of life, we often as Christians need to practice some version of that mindfulness meditation because we need to even prepare our hearts to listen to the Lord. <laughs> Uh, as the Bible says, be still and know mm. that I am God. And if you've even tried it for any amount of time, even one minute, you just realize how many intrusive thoughts we have. Yes. What I'm going to eat for lunch? What do I want to do later? Or I worry about this. And I think just being able to center ourselves, to prepare ourselves uh, to listen to God I think that's important. I mean, what perhaps is more closely tied with kind of the Christian practice is uh, Lectio uh, Divina. Uh, as as you know, it's really about, you know, mon monastic practice of meditating on scripture and interacting with the Lord through thinking about uh, scripture over and over again. And I think that um, that is related to, you know, greater levels of uh, well-being as well just being able to center ourselves on the truths of what God says. So uh, mindfulness meditation, there's work showing that it does help with improving well-being. I think that as Christians, and if we do practice uh, some of these meditative practices, it does help center us and it helps us to also experience greater joy and greater uh, levels of wellness. Maybe I'm just making this up in my own head, but but I, I continue to see these threads from other parts of our conversation. And that's, you know, as we talk about the inconvenience of relationship, that it slows us down, uh, yes. that that feels like a part of the, like our need for these meditative and reflective practices as we prepare for spending time with God. And that that can be very frustrating because of all of these intrusive thoughts that we have. Mm -hmm. And in, in part, it's because we are welcoming another 
person into the situation with us. That as we sit down with God, we are forced to slow down and to move in step with him, just like mm-hmm. we are when we call up our friend and say, hey, what movie do you want to go see this weekend? <laughs> and and you're sitting there talking about like, oh, gosh, there's really this one that I want to see. And I'm thinking about how much it's going to cost if we can go to a matinee versus a late showing and all of these sort of intrusive moments that could detract from your planning, but that are also part of slowing down to walk in step with your friend and to make Mm. plans. And that feels like that's part of why we can get so easily frustrated as when we sit down and try to spend time with God and that we can just say like, nothing happens. Like all I do is just sit there and I think about this and I think about that. And I don't feel like I'm making any progress with God. And it almost feels like a place to normalize that and say, say like, yeah, that's, that is part of like developing a relationship with anyone, including God, especially God, because we are trying to slow ourselves down and quiet our minds and walk in step and build a relationship, which takes time. Yes, definitely. And I I love that observation about, you know, stilling ourselves um, as we are kind of in that relationship. Um, There's also another thing that I have uh, students do as well in my science of well-being class and another practice. Uh, which is active listening. Um, And being in a relationship requires that listening and not just listening, but listening well. Mm. And in order to listen well, it is often a posture of of really tracking what somebody is saying rather than, you know, at the back of our minds, sometimes this occurs, right? (laughs) We all have that like, okay, (laughs) when is this person going to be done? I can't wait to get to my next meeting or I want to do X, (laughs) Y, and Z. And we all encounter that, but but the the art of listening well is to be able to say no, I'm I'm not going to be listening to these intrusive thoughts that I'm having, mm. but I'm going to be fully present to you, John, because you know we're having a conversation, <laughs> or I'm going to be fully present to you, God, because you're present here and I want to listen to you. So yeah, there's something about that too that all ties into this kind of relationship and relationship building. Yes. It's just fascinating to me to, to slow down and to think through these relationships and the, and the interplay. Are there other places of overlap that you, are, that you see as you continue to live in this world of well-being and as we think about what it looks like to be growing disciples of Jesus? Yeah. So, you know, a few years back, we were also very curious about figuring out, you know, what are kind of levels of income that are needed for people to be happy. Okay. And uh, we are seeing that there is a level of income satiation, meaning that beyond a certain point, income doesn't do much for happiness. Again, many of us work or we find jobs because we want to have a certain standard of living or we're pursuing, you know, uh, income for not necessarily even for its own purpose, but, you know, for for other reasons. But income can only buy uh, happiness to a certain point. And of course, some people ask, you know, what what is that level of income? Right. And it ranges, you know, from, you know, 60 to $95,000, depending on what aspect of well-being you're talking about, whether it's life satisfaction or it's emotions, but certainly around that range, I think. Um, So I think that if we are continually hankering for more and more money, I think that it is important as well to pause. Um, Of course, you know, the Bible does say, right? Uh, it's not money that is, you know, <laughs> the root of all evil, but the love of money that is the root of all evil. 
And there's a lot out there, uh, especially for young people these days, where it's like, hey, you know, earn more money, you implicitly you'll be happier, right? Right. I think it's important to pause and to really kind of think about that. Uh, because the research also points to the fact that it doesn't actually, on average, make you happier. In fact, it could make you more miserable. Which then ties into what you were talking about earlier. This pro-social giving has a, a very positive impact on people's well-being. So that if mm-hmm. you have this understanding of my financial development only has a certain benefit, a certain amount of benefit to me and my well-being and my outlook on life. But anything above and beyond that, if that's also something that I consider as part of this pro-social giving of investing in others, alumni investing in their chapter account, giving at church, buying coffee for a friend, that you could sort of bundle well-being <laughs> in, uh, in these different ways. Your understanding of your finances could have a really significant impact on your thoughtfulness around giving and the impact that then that, that also has on your well-being. Definitely. You know, Jesus came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. Obviously, that doesn't mean that we won't have any suffering or misery or challenges in this life. But I think being thoughtful, like what you said about how we spend our resources in kind of giving to others does actually uh, fill us with, with joy. And kind of that's what the research points to. The other aspect about how we spend our money too is that research is pointing to uh, the fact that material purchases don't buy us as much happiness as compared to buying experiences. Interesting. Spending time with somebody or going on a vacation with a family, those types of experiential purchases, as it were, are things that we can go back to continually. We can savor it. You know, purchasing the latest iPhone, well, Unfortunately, sorry, it's going to be outdated, right? So yes. the amount of happiness you can derive from that is much lower. So I would say as well, if if you do have discretionary income, you know, think about ways of spending it on others, but also ways that you can spend it so that you can create joint experiences that you all can relish together. Yes. You're investing in something that lasts a memory that you can return yes. to. It doesn't wear out like your iPhone will. But it's something right. that it gets cemented and stays with you. And you keep going back to that for the rest of your life. These memories that I have going on vacation with my family as a kid, oh, they're yeah. like, oh, gosh, I still cherish those today. But I have thrown away so many phones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but right. it also is an investment in relationship and has these these additional benefits. Lewis, the next question that I have is related to uh, pursuing well-being in our personal lives. Do you have other thoughts related to that? Yeah, I would like to speak to that a little bit. I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this idea of self-care early on in our conversation. I think that physical and spiritual health is really uh, often at the core of having kind of ability to even pursue well-being and pursue happiness and serve others. So those as well have an important place in our lives. Okay. So being able to have the spiritual practice of really listening to the Lord each day, making time for others, as I mentioned, and then also exercise and sleep. Yes. Those are things that we often neglect, mm. but there is so much research <laughs> showing that if you don't sleep well, if you don't eat well, if you don't exercise, you are not going to be as happy as as you would be. And we often don't think about that. Or perhaps we kind of downplay that because, oh, that's not spiritual. You know, I want to think about these other things that are yes. more quote unquote spiritual. 
But I think it's so vital to care for ourselves in those ways and be very deliberate. And I think that you will actually experience a much higher levels of, of well-being just by being able to um, take care of your spiritual and physical health. I mean, that makes so much sense to me just simply because it seems like in every aspect of research, whether you're talking about mental health or physical health or <laughs> whatever it is, that some of these things that you talk about, those feel like some of the, the pillars of health that come up again and again and again. Are you having issues in fill in the blank area? Well, how's your sleep and how's your diet? And are you exercising? Yes. Like those are three things that you can implement in almost any situation where things are just feeling a little off kilter and that yes. that might have a significant impact or more than likely if you are deficient in one or more of those areas that it will have a significant impact on fill in the blank issue that you're experiencing. And as I think about as I think about our young alumni listeners who are moving into new spaces and new experiences, it feels like this is sort of a, a linchpin opportunity for them of what are the practices that you're going to establish in this new place from the beginning? You might have this new job. And so you, you know what your kind of nine to five is going to look like five days a week uh, for other people. Your schedules will look different speaking generally. Um, but then all of this other time. How are you going to start in this new place? What are the rhythms that you're going to establish? Getting enough sleep, eating well, and incorporating <laughs> exercise. And that's not to forget the practices that we've already talked about of, of what does it look like to pursue relationship? What does it look like for continuing to pursue relationship not only with people but with God and to establish these things as part of healthy rhythms that will promote a healthy sense of well-being? Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Well, Lewis, we've covered a number of fascinating topics that you can start applying these things right away. But I also want to give space for one final question here, a question I ask all of our guests. And, and this can be specifically related to the content that we've been talking about today, or it can be related to your own life experience. But if you could connect with someone who's nearing or has just entered their new life after graduation context, what advice would you give them? Yeah, kind of beyond what I've shared, I think it's having the right expectations. Most of life, you know, when uh, you come out of, you know, college and university, you're like, oh, you know, I see life going this way or, you know, things have to move a certain way. And at this pace, most of life, I would say, is a repetition <laughs> and yes. invisible increments. And so you might not see progress daily. You might not see immediate, quote unquote, impact. As the saying goes, the days are long, but the years are short. Yes. So be patient and wait on the Lord mm. and trust him to use this process. For some reason, God loves to use time to refine us. Think about yes. you know, Moses in the desert. There's something about repeating daily the routines, whether it's, okay, I'm going to exercise again, because you can't just say I'm exercise, I've exercised once this week, so I'm done for the month, right? It doesn't work that way. Right. You have to do it over and over and over and over again. Some people describe it as the grind. Yes. But really, I just think of it as repetition. Invite the Lord to, to that. I think um, sometimes people get antsy or sometimes people want to kind of break out of that, but God uses that. And so I think that Often students coming out of college, they have a rude awakening like, oh, wow, this is this is life. I'm doing this over and over and over again. 
Yes. But that's how the Lord works in, in our life. And, and that's going to be the majority of, of our lives. We will have you know ups and downs and so forth, but a lot of it is repetition. So be prepared for that. <laughs> it's not going to be, you know, just a constant carnival or roller coaster. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot of it. It's going to be, you know, doing the same thing over again. Yes. I love that piece of advice because we live in a world and in a culture where we have quick access to people's success stories where, you know, you look up somebody on YouTube and they show you their one second picture or one second video, <laughs> of, you know, one second a day of my physical transformation. And so you've watched like three minutes, three to four minutes and somebody's transformed their whole body. And yeah. it's like, that took way more than three or four minutes. <laughs> that's, that's just my experience with it. But we are inundated with what feels like quick transformation, quick success. And the mm-hmm. reality is, is for most of us, I love that it is repetition. It is, uh, it is dedication to doing things again and again and again and again and seeing slow but steady progress with, with Jesus and in relationship with others and in the work that we're doing. And there will be plenty of backtracking that happens as well. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But it's the repetition. It's the repetition that will serve us well through all of that. Those are wise words, Lewis. I appreciate them greatly. And those are good things for us to remember, especially as we step into a brand new context that now's the time to establish healthy repetition. Thank you so much, Lewis. I know that you have plenty of things going on in life around you. And so I'm grateful for your investment here uh, and investing in InterVarsity alumni. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Not at all. Thanks for inviting me. And it's been a pleasure to uh, be on the show. Loving God and having godly loves. According to Dr. Tay, this is foundational for our well-being. What's interesting to me is that it isn't only focused on self, on me. Yes, there are very important self-care elements, but our well-being is best cultivated when it also maintains an intentional outward focus. I mean, it's the greatest commandment. Love God with your whole life, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about finding the exact right job. It's not about finding the exact right spouse or home. It's not even about finding the exact right church. Modern well-being research is confirming that the things we've heard from Jesus from the beginning are in fact the way to live a better, more fulfilling life by turning our focus outward on our creator, our savior, and the people that he's put around us. And that might feel a little abstract, so thankfully Dr. Tay gave us some practical tools throughout the episode for pursuing well-being in this way. I've put them into a list for you. You can find them in the show notes or in the post that will be on Instagram for this episode. Find that, save it, and keep coming back to it. Also, stay tuned for a short bonus episode with Dr. Tay in a few weeks where he shares more about cultivating well-being at work specifically. Dr. Tay, thanks so much for joining us today. You have been so helpful as we seek to outfit our lives with healthy, godly practices in this new post-graduation season. Alumni, be sure to come back next week for my conversation with Jay Kim, pastor and author of the book Analog Christian, Cultivating Contentment, Resilience, and Wisdom in the Digital Age. Jay's going to do two things for us. One, he's going to present us with some sobering realities. We'll talk about the unhealthy comparison and reckless indulgence that we're experiencing every day and that is so heavily influenced by social media and digital content. Thankfully, the second thing he's going to do is provide a whole lot of hope and encouragement. He's going to introduce us to the framework found in his book that's built around the fruit of the Spirit that's going to help us implement healthy life rhythms for navigating the digital age. If you haven't done it yet, now's a great time to subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear from Jay. It's going to be super helpful. All right. Thanks for joining. 
and I will see you in the after, alumni. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today, alumni. If there was anything that you learned, really enjoyed, or that encouraged you from today's episode, would you send us a DM or tag us in a story? We'd love to hear about it. You can find us at After4Pod on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, take just a second to unlock your phone and subscribe to the podcast. If your platform lets you, leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what we're doing here, share us with your InterVarsity or other post-graduation friends. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you in the after, alumni.